This is Actualize Freedom, straight talk on growing clicks and conversions on Amazon FBA from people doing it every day. Now here's your host, digital marketing acrobat, Danny Kenji Carlson. What's up guys, Danny Carlson here with the Actualize Freedom podcast and today is gonna be a very important episode if you are looking to someday sell your Amazon FBA business. As you probably know, it is a very, very hot commodity these days. You can get a really attractive multiple for it. So if you're not building your business to sell, then you're really leaving a potentially really large payday and an ability to almost skip a few years worth of revenue and I mean, everyone wants a big payday. That's why we're in this, right? You wouldn't be in this if you didn't want money. So today we have on Corin Woodmass, who is uh, an expert when it comes to selling FBA businesses and has lots of experience when it comes to this as the FBA broker and also is the host of his own podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Corin. How's it going, man? Thanks. Thanks for having me, Danny. <laughs> Excellent. First off, what is the name of your podcast? I think you're like 11 or 12 episodes in now. Yeah, truth about exits. So the whole concept behind the podcast is a lot of people talk about business sales, but not a lot of people talk about what actually takes to get the deal done. So we interview clients that have sold, clients that decided not to sell, people that have raised capital through public markets, through VCs, um, people that are acquiring a bunch of businesses. So we try and interview the whole range of people to give people an insight into what it actually takes to close really big deals. And that's interesting. Maybe you can give us an example of some clients that ended up not wanting to sell. Like, why would someone not want to just get a giant payday for the business? <laughs> sure. Uh, there's <laughs> a lot of reasons, actually. <laughs> um, I always start when I actually first talk to any client, uh, we often start with the concept of why should we sell, not why shouldn't we sell the business? So we need to build a case for why to sell the business. They're high cash flowing assets. And if you set the business up correctly to be attractive for an acquisition, you may not actually want to sell the business. So in this case, we, we went to market, we prepped the business for a long time. We were shooting for an above market multiple because of the brand. I knew the the seller for a long time. He's a friend of mine, and we we were shooting above the market, so we knew we were up against it from the beginning. We actually got him six offers. The last offer was exactly his number he wanted when we went to market. Um, I actually interviewed him. His name's Mark, um, so I'll send you the link after if you like. But at the end, about a week before that last offer came in, he decided to grow the business because the feedback, the overwhelming feedback from buyers and investors that were interested in the brand, he, he was asked the same question over and over. And he said to himself, well, maybe I can just do this to make my business more sustainable, um, kick off more cash, and then I may not even want to sell it. So um, the investors actually asking him repeatedly a few questions about his own business made him rethink that whole process. And unfortunately, when it came to that, that end of the process where we had the perfect offer, um, he'd already made the decision to pull the deal from the market. So um, it was a it was pretty tough for us as a as a broker to go through that process. Um, but that's what our internal motto was sell side for life. So I think our biggest point of difference is we actually we've been on both sides of transactions, right? We've been I started out as an investor by building selling and built and sold an e-commerce business, got into FBA myself before becoming a broker. So I understand what it takes to build a business from scratch. And it's, I want to make sure that all our clients get that hell yes number. And if they're not getting that hell yes number or there's a better option for them, there's, there's no real short 
there's no real reason to not sell a business other than if you if you're at the end of your rope with it so we can talk about a couple of reasons why people often sell their business and and the like but in this case yeah we uh, we got the number but at this at the same time he'd already made the decision to move on yeah and i would imagine with some founders that they have uh, an emotional connection to the business too right this is the business they bootstrapped up they built from scratch um it's their baby and uh, they probably don't want to let it go in a lot of cases. Do you ever see that with uh, people that you work with? Um, not so much, no. Most people are, <laughs> are pretty detached from their business. Uh, I've only come across that a couple of times. Most people that build an Amazon-based business have, done, have built the business from the beginning with cash flow in mind. So they're often just looking for a niche that's um, low competition, high potential profit margin, and they go into the business that way. Few clients have actually come into a market that they're really passionate about. And there's always a number. So sometimes if even if they are super passionate about something, there'll be a number that they're happy to sell for. Yeah, it's kind of like the baby that they built, but they're not really a fan of that baby so much. And there's, you know, if someone offered them a ch good chunk of money for that baby, they would give the baby away. You know, yeah, <laughs> everyone's exactly. got their number, right? Uh, so maybe walk us through a little bit, a little bit about the numbers, like a typical FBA business these days, you know, what kind of multiples are people getting? Um, you know, what, you know, what, what factors does that range? Uh, like, what is the range? And what are the factors? Sure. So we've been tracking and reporting on all public FBA sales for over three years now. So in 2018, we did a 2018 review of all the businesses we saw, we tracked 173 businesses publicly close, confirmed close. There was a number that were unconfirmed closed, but that's what we could confirm. And that equated to 257 million US in confirmed transactions last year. Now I know of a few mid eight and low nine figure deals that were done off market, completely off market as well. So the, the market itself, the market size, the size of the, the buyer pool basically is massive for Amazon based brands. However, last year as well, we saw more listings come to market than the year before and a lower sell-through rate overall. So about one in five will sell through. So about 22% is the sell-through rate, confirmed sell-through rate. So there is more deals coming to market, which means that buyers are being more picky because they have more options. If you have hundreds of deals to choose from, you can really pick what, what type of deal you want. Three, four years ago, um, almost five years ago now, the first deal I was a part of um, closed very quickly. And we literally had buyers say any anything with an Amazon sales channel, we want to buy. Right? That's definitely not the case anymore. So I really bring it down to, to five factors that are important when it comes to selling a business, but also will improve the multiple on a business. So um, one, before we get started that you, you really can't control it's, it either is or isn't, is the location of the entity. And this is a factor in size. So we specialize in seven and eight figure deals. So our minimum list price is a million dollars. And we've got a couple of eight figure deals that we're closing right now. One's about to close, one's about to go under contract. So we can talk a little bit about that buyer pool, which is very different to a seven figure buyer pool. But in the one to five million range, if your entity is based in the US and you're paying taxes in the US, there's some advantages there in a little bit more multiple potentially and a much bigger buyer pool. 
basically because the buyers can use SBA approved debt. So small business administration in the US backs loans for small businesses. So that actually keeps the market very active. So that's one thing that is a, is a great bonus to have. And if you are not based in the US and paying taxes, I have to stress that not just having an entity over here, that's not enough. Um, that will actually improve the chances of selling. Now, outside of that, you still need some more factors. So let's go over those. So the first is brand. And you need these days to stand out in the market against hundreds and hundreds of other deals. We're tracking almost 200 live listings worldwide right now. So to stand out in all of that noise, you need a brand that solves a real problem and focuses on a single target market. So you want to be in baby and go deep into that niche as opposed to have five different unrelated brands with all different types of products that are just chasing sales volume. Those type of businesses are really tough to sell. And if your entity isn't based in the US, it's almost impossible to sell a business like that. It's getting very hard at least, right? To sell a business like that in the seven and eight figure range. Yeah, just to, just to sometimes. clarify on that, that's like, that's a tax break. Like if someone were to, they had a chunk of money sitting around and they bought a business that could basically be a tax write off uh, a certain portion of that business. Is that why that's so attractive? No, it's um, easy to get financing, basically. If you're a high net worth individual or have some assets, you can essentially put down 10 or 20% of the purchase price and get really attractive terms over a 10-year period, um, currently at about 8%, 7.5-8% interest per annum for 10 years to fund the 80% of the purchase or 90% of the purchase. So it's, it's really um, it's geared towards M&A and growing small businesses. So it's, it's very popular in the M&A space. So a buyer in, for a million dollar deal, they might only need to put down a million dollars, um, $100,000 or $200,000, right? To buy a million dollar business. So it's very attractive. And then where can people learn more about that specific, um, that specific um, incentive? Yeah, just go to the SBA website. And you can, you can look up that. Um, there's also Steven Spear is probably one of the, the best known lenders in this space. His, his website's e-commerce lending. So you can go and, and talk to Steven as well and get pre-approved. We get our deals pre-approved before going to market. The last one we took to market that was SBA pre-approved that had these five points that I'm about to talk about. We listed at $3.2 million. We, had, we did one email to our hot, super hot buyer list that had pre-registered. And also we built a list of outbound targets for each deal. We had an offer in an hour and a half. And within one week, we had three LOIs, so written deals that we were negotiating. A week later, we signed with one of those deals. So the, the, the volume of interest was about 100 inquiries within that first couple hours of sending that email. That's actually qualified people saying, yes, I'm pre-approved for SBA. I can handle a deal this size, very interested. I want to know more. That is very, very attractive. Okay. And so we're right in the middle of the, the criteria for um, what mm -hmm. gives a good multiple here. Sorry to cut you off there. No, that's cool. So brand is number one, hundred percent. That that's a big, big point. Uh, the next is profit margin. So you want to know what your actual net profit is in the business. Um, we use a, a factor called seller discretionary earnings. So you can add back things like your salary and company taxes, not sales tax, but company tax and one-time expenses. So you can bump that net profit up. It's a, usually a little bit higher than what you're claiming on taxes. 
So that's the baseline we use for the multiple. So it's a multiple of your annual net profit or SDE is what we use to list the business. And the reason net profit or net margin comes into play is how much revenue, right, is, is, does it take to create that net profit? So what we're actually seeing as far as sold businesses go is the net margin is closer to 30%, which is pretty high when you consider running an inventory-based business. And the reason this is so important is investors are looking to deploy capital, but they're not stupid. They're looking at deploying capital for the best return possible. So the higher that number is legitimately, including all your Amazon expenses, PPC, everything to actually run the business is what that bottom line number is. So that needs to be high. Right now, we're not seeing much interest below 20%. Ideally, you want to be above 25% to 30%. Uh, we just took a deal to market 11 million in revenue, 3.3 million in earnings. So it was a 30% net margin business. And you better believe the buyer interest in that was huge. So we're uh, currently negotiating with two buyers on that. And what kind of multiples are we seeing for a business like that compared to a business maybe around the 20% mark? Yeah, absolutely. So I can't reveal the, the details of that deal for a couple of reasons. It was a, a private auction, which isn't finished, but I can give you the range that we were giving to buyers when they asked, which was 3.5 to 4.5 times annual net profit. And this was for an Amazon only business. Very important. 3.5 to 4.5. So a, a quick little math there. What is that? Like 3 million, you said 3 million annual net profit, uh, 3.5 to 4.5 that is a good chunk of money yeah, 10 million 10 million 13 million kind of range that is not so bad really really not so yeah. bad so like one thing that is really interesting in my mind to think about selling a business is you're basically if you just extrapolated out the next three or four years of the profits you could just get that payday now and not have to operate the business for the next three or four years and like you don't have to take the risk of you know, sure, maybe you could grow the business more, but maybe you wouldn't, you know, maybe you get super bored of it and you would just tank the business or some competitor would come in and wipe it all out. It, it, it's a very, very attractive scenario for a lot of people in that situation, right? Yeah. So one other thing that we're seeing as more attractive at this point in time is where the, the founders actually want to stay in the business. They see upside in the business and want to stay operationally in control. They just want to take cash off the table. So another eight figure deal with that's about to close in a couple of weeks here, um, that eight figure deal, the, the reason that seller was, was selling our client, he was at a point where he was needing more capital to grow the business, had a very clear path. They did $20 million in revenue last year on Amazon. So they knew that they, they had a path to success and growing or doubling the business even. But the reason he was looking to sell, one of the main reasons was his line of credit was personally guaranteed. He was the only only owner in the company. So to in order to grow the business further, he had to take on more risk than he was comfortable with. So for him, um, we had a number of offers with this deal. One of them included him staying in as part of a combined entity that was much larger than his, which was interesting. And the one we've gone to, to close with, uh, he's actually being just taken out of the business altogether um, very quickly. So that's an ideal scenario for him. But that's not always the case. A lot of the investors, especially in the eight-figure range, they're looking to invest capital. They're not looking to operate. So the more you can remove yourself from the business before going to market, the better. Or even if you're wanting to stay in and keep growing the business, you see the potential 
in the business, you don't want to sell 100%. You want to take some chips off the table. That's a really great scenario. And a lot more buyers are actually in that category where they're, they've got more capital to invest and they don't want to operate. So that opens up even more options. As long as you're in the eight-figure revenue range, basically, that's where that really starts to get attractive. Okay, and so just to be clear here, if someone had, let's say, a million dollar list price for their business, um, would this still be an option for someone like that too? Or is this only in, in like the eight figure range that if someone wanted to sell, say, 25% or 50% of their business and get some chips off the table, um, can they still really do that on the lower end? Or is there kind of a, a sweet spot for a deal size where that starts to happen? Yeah, it's not as attractive. It's not as attractive for the seller. Um, and it's not as attractive for the investor. So that deal I mentioned before where my friend decided not to sell his business, that ideal buyer came back and offered the exact same deal. They offered a minority stake. And he was thinking, well, why would I even take that? I don't need the extra cash. It wasn't life-changing money at that point. And for the investors, they actually went back, did their numbers, came back and said, look, this isn't, we, we want to work with you, but this isn't going to move the needle. The, the real the point where that becomes sizable is when you're doing one to three million in net earnings and above because there's scale there. And it also opens up commercial debt options, which it might, um, might be a bit of a leap for people to, to get their head around. But a larger business in the banking world is, or the private capital markets, let's say, is seen as less risky than a, small, a smaller business. So yeah, that's, that's why that's the case. So for the most part, no, unless you have um, individuals that you know that want to help and invest with you. And uh, this, this might be a bit of a complicated question, but is it more or less valuable if you're taking off a percentage of your business as opposed to selling your entire business? So a really clear example, like a million, million dollar deal size, if you sell 100% of the business, you get um, you know, X, X amount. But if you only sold 50% of your business, are you going to get 50% of that amount or is the value up or down from there typically? Yeah, so we've not done a 50% deal at a at million dollars. Um, we have seen rolled equity being an option. So what that means is maybe you'll retain 20% or 15%, 10% after the sale. So you won't be operationally involved, let's say, but you'll sell 80, 90% of the business and you retain 10 to 20% of equity moving forward. Now there's, there's one reason and one reason alone a buyer will, or an investor will, will make this offer to you as a seller is to reduce their risk, right? And have you tied into the future success of the business? Whether you actually wanna do that deal or not really depends on what we advise our clients on is depends on the buyer and what their track record is. Because if they're taking over the reins of the business, you want to make sure that they have the best opportunity to continue growing the business, right? Because that's your equity now. So it's, that's more advantageous to the investor at that level is what we're seeing. And the only real difference is if they're hyper-strategic. So they can take your products and put them into retail, or they have other channels that they can plug you into, then a 50% might be interesting because you maintain 50%. You'd probably still be operating the business if you sold 50%, but then you'd get access to distribution channels. So think Shark Tank. A lot of people do Shark Tank deals for distribution and exposure. So you'd want almost a Shark Tank style or a shark to be investing with you to make it worthwhile to, to just sell 50% and keep running the business. 
This podcast is brought to you by Kenji ROI, a complete done-for-you service for your Amazon listing creation and optimization. Everything from product photography, including lifestyle images with a real model, graphic design images and studio images, to the copywriting and keyword optimization, to videos and enhanced brand content if you're lucky enough to have brand registry. We also manage marketing when it comes to Amazon ads and also for some bigger sellers out there who might be interested in building a messenger list, we offer services creating the many chat funnels to follow up with customers for more reviews, to help build your own audience so you can launch new products to help rank for new keywords. Um, and there is Facebook ad management built into that as well for the right sellers. So if you want to learn more about Kenji ROI, head to K-E-N-J-I-R-O-I.com. That is actually my middle name, Kenji, with the R-O-I added onto the end. And uh, here's, a, here's a question that uh, a lot of people, so, so many people listening to this are probably nowhere near the point where they're going to be thinking about selling their business. Like either, either they're already at a good mark and they just, they're waiting for a point where they can get a good multiple or they're just growing their first couple of Amazon products, right? But it's good to keep this kind of stuff in mind. So what have you seen as the biggest kind of deal breakers that have really devalued a business that otherwise would have been worth a lot more? Yeah, so outside of those two things, we will get to the whole five. Um, the third would be distribution. So product range itself or product diversification we'll talk about first. So the product suite itself, if you have one hero product, which a lot of newer newer sellers have one hero product and then maybe some accessory products, that can drag the, the profit or the, the multiple down, but also the interest in that business. If you've got one hero product and it's not differentiated, um, if it's not hyper unique or anything, that can be a, a risk. It's a single product risk. So if one product's driving all the revenue, that's scary. Um, other other things are revenue sources. So where are you actually selling your products? And people often come to us and say, look, I'm selling on Amazon, but I have my website and I've, I'm on Jet and Walmart and all this other stuff. And when I ask what's the percentage of revenue, the other percentage is small they say well amazon's 98 percent, but i'm diversified well that's not diversified in the fact of getting buyers to look at your business and make a higher offer for your business what really moves the needle is single revenue outside of amazon let's say being more than 30 percent so and you get extra points if you control that revenue so let's say you've got a website and you have a subscription so people are on auto ship maybe it's a supplement or something like that they repeat purchasing you can prove their repeat purchasing and you could say how much it costs to acquire that customer so if you know cost of acquisition and how long someone's going to stick stick around on your website that's a really robust asset because they're going to keep buying if something changes with amazon if something changes with Google rankings, you can still predict that future income. It makes the business less um, risky than an Amazon only business. So anything you can do to make your business stronger and the, the litmus test of this, there's a couple that I'll go through. One in this, in this particular topic is really how comfortable are you at night when you go to bed? <laughs> so you've got all this inventory out. How confident are you that tomorrow the sales are gonna be the same? The more confident you can be, the higher the potential multiple could be and the more buyers would be interested. So they have the same fears that you do, right? They're not stupid. They're not coming in looking at this like, oh, this is free money. They, they understand that this is, is a risky proposition, which is why the multiples are actually lower for an Amazon-only business than a diversified business or something that's really diversified. Like a, a guy I was talking to this morning, they have all sorts of 
um, revenue sources, right, compared to just an Amazon only business. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, and it can be very difficult for people to diversify off of Amazon, right? Because it's a very, very different skill set. Amazon is is one mm -hmm. thing and then actually building your own website traffic and um, converting uh, conversion page optimization. The other marketplaces don't really have the same sales volume as Amazon does. So it's not an yep. easy thing to get going. Um, what are some of, give us some examples of businesses that really have successfully diversified. You gave the example of the on website subscription box. Is that is that one of the more mm -hmm. common cases or are you seeing sellers successfully diversify in other places more often? Yeah, so it really depends on the, the brand and the products Right, whether you can actually do this and how it, the, the clients I've seen have more success with this are really dialed into their niche. So they, they're part of that group. They understand those customers. They go to trade shows and events and hang out with their target market, treat them like real people. Basically don't tell anyone this is a secret, right? It, the guys that go and girls that go do that seem to have a, an easier time selling directly to that customer. Right. If you can sell to someone, if you have a tent, a stall at an event and you can sell your product to one person at a time, you can sell them through your website. But a lot of people don't want to take that next step. And that's really what it takes to go to that next level. Worldwide, e-commerce only equates to about 20% of retail volume, retail sales. So it's about 80% of the sales volume potential that's outside of Amazon. So you've just got to figure your way in. If you're selling teaspoons that are just generic teaspoons that don't differentiate in any way whatsoever, it's going to be pretty tough to sell direct to the customer. You'll need to find a better way to do that, but it's, it's time well, well spent. The other thing is you don't have to build your business to sell. You can create a cash machine, put cash into something else. So some clients that we've actually passed on taking their deals to market, some of them, have actually had high returning products, so high margin products that are creating a lot of cash, but the business just isn't worth what they would want to sell the business for. Some of them have taken some of that profit and gone and done a crowdfunding campaign with something completely new and different. So they take some of those, those profits and create something better, more defensible, more interesting for the next round, right? So that, that's another way you can do it. I love it. And how important are like standard operating procedures and really, really precise financials when it comes to selling a business? Because I'm sure you've ran into that situation where uh, the business is a mess. They don't really have any procedures. It's all kind of it's all based on the hero, maybe the business owner or the a key employee or something like that. So how how does that factor into the sale of a business? Yeah, so I had a I'm in based in Austin, Texas, and I had a a coffee with a private equity group here uh, just last week, right? And they looked at this large deal that we were marketing, which is how we connected. And we were talking about what they were acquiring and why. And this is a, a great example. So they said specifically, this business had uh, outside of the two founders, it had three staff running $11 million in revenue. He said to me point blank, we would never buy an $11 million revenue business with only three employees because that's scary to us. So most mm -hmm. it's key person risk. So standard operating procedures are required. And the reason you want them to be there is it makes it easier for you to transition out of the business. But even a step 
above that is who's going to operate the business. The gold standard is to have a full team that can not only operate, so I'm not talking about customer service, I'm talking about expand the business and grow the business. If you really want the maximum value for what you're creating, and it's a choice, you don't have to do this, but if you want the maximum value, treat it like a real business. Put people in place, make sure that there's divisions and people looking at growth opportunities for the business, not just you. And then you'll have a, a much better time when it comes to selling the business. Financials, financials are always a mess. 98% of the time people don't know what their actual numbers are. And there's a reason for this. So when you go do your taxes, you think, okay, great. That's my books done. A, an accountant, their only thought is how what you need to do for tax a bookkeeper that you should have as well their only response is to enter information that you give them so if those two people are following your direction the chances of you having your business set up like an investor wants to see it and how we need to see it to to evaluate the business is almost zero what you actually need is someone to help you analyze the numbers and know what you're looking at so the first thing you need to do is have and in some cases, a second set of books, which sounds daunting, in accrual-based accounting. So you need to look at the numbers like an investor is going to look at them. You don't want to have your inventory that you've ordered for Q4 come in in June on your books right? and have negative profit for that month because it's not actually true. The, the numbers that you're, you're projecting should be as the, the products are sold. So we use cost of goods sold and we use accrual accounting to show the true trend in the business. Use your balance sheet to show inventory movement, which is also important. But then you can outsource this to a virtual CFO or get someone that's really inventory, has inventory-based knowledge. A bookkeeper is not a bookkeeper, right? We've, we've gone through so many bookkeepers that just don't know what they're doing. So get professional help, ask for referrals, I'll ask other larger Amazon sellers doing eight figures a year. How are you handling this? Right, both of our accounting, uh, both of our clients in the eight-figure range that we've just taken to market have one has an entire team. They've hired a CFO in-house to do this for them. You can also use a virtual CFO or something like that. But you need help to interpret your numbers and then performance manage them. Now, the things that buyers are really looking for when it comes to evaluating your business over everyone else is what is actually driving the trends in the business, which is the last piece that's really important is growth trends. So Amazon's growing 20% per annum year over year. So if your business isn't growing by 20%, you're actually flat. You need to be outperforming the marketplace that you're on if you're only on Amazon, right? So that's that's one thing. Most of the clients we're taking to market are growing by 100 to 200 percent or more, 300 percent year over year, which is crazy growth. But you need to know what's driving that, and the buyers will want to look into what's actually driving that growth. So have your CFO go through skew by skew, figure out where your profits being driven from, what's growing the trend, what's the trend. So some of your products may be taking off, taking a dive, right? Product life cycle is really important. You need to know this and you can plan accordingly. And you better believe that when you get into diligence with these smart investors, they'll tear your business apart. So you need to know this well advanced of going to market. Otherwise, the chances of you actually closing are really, really low. Oh, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Uh, and maybe there's an example that you could give us of a business that 
it had it had everything good and then the the buyers or whoever uncovered something about it that was just really ugly and the deal never ended up going through or the the valuation just went way down after this was uncovered like what's an example of something like that yeah so the the business at the top of the show we were talking about where he decided to take the business off the markets great example so he and i knew this niche very well however the buyers did not so one of the things that we came up against was product expansion questions and volume so the seller himself had a product roadmap but outside of that it was very much more variations was his game plan and outside of that these investors want to grow organically they want to double the business at least if not triple the business putting more capital in and if they can't see a clear path to that or you don't know that yourself you're going to have a hard time getting a premium for your business so that's one thing that knowing what's driving the profit but also having a clear path to growth that you can share with the investor will will make a big difference when it comes to going to market. And now we do that with all of our clients before going to market. We, we drill into what is the next thing and what's the deal, what's the sales volume likely to be? How would you do this? Have you sourced the product? How could you help the, the buyers get up and running with the next thing? Because that's what they're all wanting. Awesome, Corn. Well, this is super, super valuable information. Literally could be incredibly, incredibly valuable for a lot of the people listening. Um, and guys, even if you're way far out from doing this, it is so good to keep this in mind because like Corin has been saying throughout this episode, there are just certain things that if you are not doing throughout this entire process of building and growing your business, you are just handicapping yourself when it comes to the time to sell. And maybe you don't think you're going to be able to sell, but hey, if you have that mindset, then it never will happen, right? You're just going to mentally block yourself. So Corin, it's been a pleasure having you on here. If people want to find out more about what you do or reach out to you online, where can they do so? Sure. So our website's probably the best way is is the fbabroker.com. And check out our website, Truth About Exits. We're on all of the major podcast networks now. So that's a good way to um, to see what's actually happening in the world of getting deals closed, which is all that matters. <laughs> Heck yeah, it is. Awesome, guys. So if you enjoyed this episode, please go and leave us a review on iTunes or whatever crazy podcast app you're listening to us right now or on YouTube. Appreciate it very much. Share the podcast with all of your friends and your family, your grandmothers and all that good stuff. And if you want the show notes, you can find that on actualizedfreedom.com. It'll have the links to um, Corin's business, FEA Broker. It'll have all of the different resources that we mentioned here. So until next time, guys, thanks for joining and we'll chat soon. This podcast is sponsored by the Helium 10 suite of tools, and we at Kenji ROI have been using Helium 10 for more than three years now. They have so many tools packed into one, I don't think that there's a better value, um, and we use it all the time for ourselves and our clients, so we can actually recommend it from real experience. We use their keyword tracker to see how our product launches are doing, the keyword indexing tool to ensure that you're actually showing up for your main keywords. Super, super important step right there. And also Magnet and Cerebro, a really powerful combination for finding keywords your competitors are using or just finding new keywords to put into your listing in general. You should be using this on you know, at least a monthly basis to see if any new keywords are coming up um, because new searches are coming up all the time, guys. Like people are searching on Google um, I forget the number, but a huge percentage of those searches are brand new, never been done searches. So if you guys want a discount code, you can use 50 Kenji ROI for 50% off your first month with Helium 10 or 10 Kenji ROI for 10% off 
for life. So that's a pretty good discount. You might as well. Um, we use them and recommend them for years. So if you guys need that, you guys will definitely get good value out of Helium 10. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit KenjiROI.com.